the Sunday Sermons Podcast. So I'll start with a question, and the question is, why are you here this morning? Now, I don't mean that in a rude sense of the way, like, why are you here? I mean it more inquisitive, like, what brings you here this morning? I know for some of you, maybe, you know, this, you know, you're trying to live as a fully devoted, fully equipped follower of Jesus Christ, and this is just a part of your walk with God, and you wouldn't miss a Sunday. For some of you, maybe you have a drug problem, and you know what I mean by a drug problem? You've been drugged to church all your life, right? (laughs) For some of you, maybe you're here out of obligation. You know, you do it for a spouse, you do it for a parent. Why are you here this morning? You know, no matter why you're here, I want you to understand this, and that is that God is pursuing you. That God is coming after you with all the love, with all the grace, with all the forgiveness that you could ever imagine, right? He wants to do business with you today. He wants to do business in your family, in your relationships, in your workplace. Whatever it is that is at the forefront of your mind, that's what he wants to deal with you today. Like, you know, the stresses, the pain that you may be going through, the struggles, the anxiety, whatever it is that you are dealing with right now, he wants to be involved in that in your life. And you may be a follower of Jesus for decades, and, you know, this is just a part of your deal. You know, you're here to serve God. You're here to worship him. This may be the first time that you've stepped foot in church for many years. Maybe it's the first time that you've tuned in online for a long time. Or maybe you're somewhere in between. But whatever it is, understand this, that God is pursuing you. He is coming after you with a love that is furious. It's intentional and personal. He knows everything about you, and he wants to connect with you today. And that's what I love about the church. How many of you love the church? Good. Good. I'm glad you love the church, right? But have you ever asked yourself, why? Why do I love the church? You know, I was, I was thinking about and praying about what what... What should I preach coming in on a Sunday morning where nobody really knows me? And I kept feeling God saying, share your passion of the church. Share, share how you ended up in the ministry a little bit. Give them a little bit of a, a glimpse into you and why I love the church and my passion for the church. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I want to share with you why I love the church. And I have five reasons. I could have went with more, but I didn't want to keep you here for two hours, Right. I could have went with a lot more. And honestly, each of these reasons could be a sermon in itself. This could be a five-week sermon series. But I'm going to give you five reasons this morning, reasons why I am committed to the local church, reason why I want to continue to devote my life to the ministry of the local church and the gospel of Jesus Christ, the reason I want to come and minister along what as I already see as a great staff here at Morrison Hill Christian Church, the reason I want to see more people reached for Jesus. The reason I want to continue to support missions so that the church can expand all across the world, well, reason number one is this, because of the church's founder. I love the church because of the church's founder. I love the church because I love Jesus. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is with his disciples, and it says this, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. 
For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, if you love Jesus, then you're going to love his church. Because he loved the church. Ephesians 5.25 tells us that husbands love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now here's the thing. We'll hear people say, well, you know, I love Jesus, but I, I don't need to be a part of the church. You know, I, I can worship Jesus out of my back deck on Sunday morning. I can worship Jesus on the golf course on Sunday morning. They must be much better golfers than me. I'll tell you that because when I'm playing golf, there's no worship going on. And you know what? You can and you should worship Jesus from your back deck. You can and you should worship Jesus on the golf course because worship should be a lifestyle. It's who we are, right? Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 1 verses, or Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I believe that Jesus makes it clear when Jesus said, I will build my church, that he intended it to be a visible body with structure and with definition. And we read in the New Testament that there were to be elders, there were to be leaders who were the spiritual overseers of the church, that there were to be teachers and preachers who would edify the body. The New Testament church was also told this in Hebrews 10, 25. It says, do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but to continue to encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And that's why we have the regular assembly together where we receive communion together, where we come together and we pray together and we pray for each other, where we encourage one another and there's offering and there's instruction that we learn to live by. I mean, you think about the church in the New Testament, the church was visible enough that when one member suffered, they all suffered. When one member strayed, the others were told to hold that person accountable. It was defined enough that some people in the world despised it and they persecuted the church. In Acts chapter two, verse 41, Peter preaches a gospel message and then what does it say? It says, so those who received his word were baptized and they were added. Added to what? Added to the church. To the church. And that day, about 3,000 souls. I want to show you three symbols in the Bible that describe Jesus' inseparable relationship to the church. Real briefly here. 1 Peter 2 compares the church to a building that is established on a firm foundation. I mean, you yourselves, it says, Peter says this, he says, you yourselves are like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. If a building is separated from its foundation, it's going to collapse. If the church is separated from Jesus, it's going to collapse. The church has to be founded on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. A second symbol of Jesus' relationship to the church is the head and the body. Ephesians 5.23 says, 
Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. The head and the body are inseparable. Like I can't stand up here and preach to you if I don't have a head. I couldn't stand up here at all, actually, if I didn't have a head. But So the church is to be the body of Jesus, and he is the head. We are to be the hands and feet of Jesus doing his will here on earth. Now, the third symbol of the relationship with Jesus to the church is the one that I love the most, and that is a groom who loves his bride. A groom who loves his bride. This is my favorite, Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, groom usually loves the bride and focuses on the positive traits and overlooks the negative traits. And the Bible says that Jesus is the groom who loves his bride, the church, and he sees the church as washed and pure and cleansed by his blood. You know, over my 25 years of ministry, I've done a lot of weddings. And um, there's one that stands out in particular when I think about this verse. And what I normally do in a wedding is before the wedding starts, I will go visit with the groom make sure his nerves are okay and he's ready to go. And then I'll go visit with the bride and make sure she's doing okay. And so I go in the room where the bride's getting ready and she's, you know, all dressed and she's got her hair all done and not a hair out of place and her makeup's perfect. And I mean, she's looking stunningly beautiful for her groom. As the wedding starts and they're coming down the center aisle, she's coming down with her dad. She just begins to start to cry. And I mean, she's crying. Like, I've never seen a bride cry like this before. She is sobbing. And now it's tears of joy, but she is sobbing, right? So we go through the service, and we get to the part where I say, and now you may kiss your bride. And she's got mascara running down her face and makeup. I mean, just, you know, it was a sight to see. Let's just say that. And she looks at her groom, and she says, I'm a mess. And he takes his hand and he wipes away her tears and he says, you're beautiful to me. Jesus is the groom who loves the bride and he sees the bride without stain or wrinkle or blemish. The bridegroom is going to return one day. The groom is going to return one day for the bride, the church, and the church is going to rise up to meet him. And you know the first thing the Bible says that the groom is going to do for the bride? The first thing is he's going to wipe away all the tears from our eyes. Now, I imagine that we are going to fall on our knees and we're going to cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But we are going to be filled, so filled with joy and excitement and gratitude that we are going to be sobbing and he's going to wipe the tears away from our eyes and we are going to be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. I love the church. I love the church because I love its founder, because I love Jesus. Reason number two that I love the church is because the church helped save my life. Now, I don't mean that I was dying of cancer and the church came along with a cure for cancer. When I say the church saved my life, I'm going to say what many of you would probably say as well, but maybe you haven't thought about it in these terms. And that is, when I say the church saved my life, is, is what it prevented in my life. John 3, 16, we're all familiar with that one, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But I think we should always add 17 on to that. You know, 17 is so good. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, 
but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, I could say, I don't know where I'd be if it wasn't for the influence of the church, but that's not true. Because I can imagine where I would probably be if it wasn't for the influence of the church, because I know me. I mean, you look up here and you go, oh, okay, his name is Wes. He's got 25 years of ministry experience. He went to Bible college. He's ordained. You know, but, but I know me. Before I was a minister, I was a middle school boy. And before I was a minister, I was a high school boy. And before I was a minister, I was a, a college boy. And before I was a minister, I worked in the corporate world. And I can honestly imagine where I'd be if I didn't have the influence of the local church. If it wasn't for all the Sunday school classes, if it wasn't for all the flannel graph teaching, how many remember flannel graphs, right? If it wasn't for all the flannel graph teaching that we got, you know, if it wasn't for all the weeks of church camp that I attended, if it wasn't for all the memory verses that I was forced to learn in those weeks of church camp, you know, if it wasn't for all the artwork that I did in Sunday school and I took home to my parents and they said, oh, it's beautiful. And then they threw it away. I mean, I mean, if you take all that influence of the local church out of my life, if you remove that out of the history, if you take it out of my memory banks, listen, I know the mess I would be because I know me. So when I think about the local church and the church and how it saved my life because the church prevented me from a whole lot of things that I would have gotten into because I'm as normal as normal can be. And when I look at the church, and not just adults, but especially the young people, the kids in this church, the last time we were here to visit was over VBS, the last night of VBS, and there there were kids running all around and, and, and adults helping, and it was awesome. It was an awesome sight. But when I look at those kids and, and I think about how I benefited from growing up in the church, and like many of you did as well, you, listen, I can't be thankful enough. I can't be grateful enough for the influence of the local church in my life. And I am more committed than ever to coming alongside of all of you and trying to make this as strong a church as we possibly can where we are helping people become fully devoted, fully equipped followers of Jesus Christ. And as I was thinking about what I should preach today, I started thinking about, you know, the influence of the local church and how it changed me and what it did for me. I, I came up with a short list of just some specifics of how the church helped me. I learned in the church that I was not to mistreat anyone, that I was to love everybody. And that was reinforced over and over again. It was in the church that I was taught to view young women as a beautiful creation of God and not an item of lust. It was in the church that I was taught to forgive as I have been forgiven. It was in the church that I was, uh, you know, that I was taught to confess. And I don't know where I'd be today if I hadn't learned to confess, not only to God, but to other people. It was in the church that I learned that the Bible has all the instructions that we need for life, that it is our word that we go by, that it contains everything we need to get through this life. It was in the local church that I learned that God had a different plan for my life, one than a different one that I had in mind. And so I'm grateful. I'm so grateful because if the church had not been a part of my life, I can't imagine exactly where I'd be. Now, have I messed up? Well, of course I have. Nobody's perfect. You know, I've messed up over and over again. But the local church helped prevent my life from being a total mess. Reason number three that I love the church is the church instilled in me a sense of purpose. Because I was taught at a young age, like we want to teach our children at a young age, that God has a plan for their life, that God has a purpose for your life, 
no matter where you're at. You know, that, that God, there, there's something beyond this life that we were created for. We were created on purpose and we were created for a purpose. And it was in the local church that I was taught to pray, God, what is your plan for my life? God, where do you want me to go to college? I mean, I know what my parents say. I know what my GPA says, but God, what do you want? You know, God, what, what, who do you want me to date? God, what do you want me to do with my life? Now, to be perfectly honest with you, and I will be transparent, to be perfectly honest with you, I didn't listen early on. I had my dreams. I had my goals. And so I went to Milligan College. I got my degree in accounting. I went on to pass the CPA exam. And my ambitions were to climb the corporate ladder, to make a lot of money, to move to a big city, to work in a high-rise building, and to be happy. And I started on that path. And I started climbing the corporate ladder. I started making some money. But I was never, I was never happy. And I was volunteering at, uh, in the youth ministry at First Christian Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. And the youth minister at the time, his name was Gary Thompson. Our youth ministry was growing pretty rapidly. And so he came to me and he said, Wes, here's what we need to do. All right, on Wednesday nights, we're going to meet together for worship, high school, middle school. Maybe play a game. And then you're going to take the middle school kids and you're going to teach them. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not. Right? I don't, I don't get in front of people. I don't speak. That's not me, Gary. No, no, not doing it. I'm too shy, too introverted. I can't do that. And he's like, oh no, yes, you can. And I was scared to death. I walked in that room the first night with 40 middle school kids and I was scared to death. But I loved it. And it became my passion. And I would be sitting at work trying to do my accounting and everything else I had to do. And all I could think about was Wednesday nights. And what am I going to teach these kids? And what are we going to do? And who's going to be there? And so I started to pray, God, what do you want? Because obviously I'm not doing what you want me to do. And I fought it for a year and I finally gave in and I went back to Johnson. I got my degree in ministry and and here I am 25 years later. Now, that's the short version. I'd love to share the long version with you sometime, but we don't have time for that today. But God gave me a desire and a passion for ministry in the local church. Psalm 32 has become one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. And then I love this part. I will counsel you with my loving eyes on you. I love that. Reason number four that I love the church is because I love the people. I love the people in the church. You know, earlier I read Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, where Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. You know, and I read that and I go, Simon, Peter, really? I mean, a very flawed man, and yet Jesus loved him and trusted him with a vital role in the church. I mean, wouldn't the first century comedians had a field day with Simon Peter? Can you imagine the memes that would have went across Facebook and Instagram about him? I mean, such a hypocrite. One minute, he's walking on water. The next minute, he's up to his neck in water. One minute, he's saying, Jesus, you're the Messiah. The next minute, he's arguing with Jesus that he's going to die. One minute, he's saying, Jesus, I will die with you. And the next minute, he's saying, I, I don't even know the guy. But Jesus told Simon Peter, he said, I am going to give you the keys to the kingdom. A key opens the door, and in Acts chapter 2, we read about Simon Peter preaching the first gospel message, 
which opened the door for thousands of Jews to become Christian. And in Acts chapter 10, it's Simon Peter who meets with the Roman centurion Cornelius, which opens the door for the Gentiles to come into the kingdom. Simon Peter was far from perfect, and yet Jesus loved him and gave him a key role in the early church. Now listen, church people aren't perfect. None of us are perfect. But the best people I know in the world are in the church. The church is made up of imperfect people who desire to live as fully devoted, fully equipped followers of Jesus. All my best friends have come from the churches that I have served in over the years. Seven years ago, my wife Heidi, she um, had a stroke. Um, She was training for a uh, 50K, a 32-mile race. And we were down in Tennessee, had come down to visit, to visit with our twin granddaughters who had just turned one. And so she was going out for a short training run, and I would go out and do the short training runs with her. I'm not running 32 miles. Never in my life would I ever do that, right? So she was doing an eight-mile run, and I was like, okay, I'll do that. That's a stretch for me right now, but I'll do that. So I went out and ran with her, and we got back to her mom's backyard, and she just collapsed. And she was rushed to the hospital, where it was determined later that she had had a stroke. Now imagine my surprise. Two days later, I'm sitting in Holston Valley Medical Center up in Kingsport, I'm sitting by her bed, it's ICU step down, and I get this text from one of my best friends in Pennsylvania, and it says, hey Wes, nice shorts, but your shirt doesn't match. Huh, he's right. Wait a minute, how does he know that, right? And then it dawned on me, he's peeking in the window. I opened the door and there stands Andy and Scott, two of my best friends from Pennsylvania who had driven down to Tennessee just to pray with me, to take me to dinner, and just to be there for me. Two of my best friends from Colonial Heights Christian Church in Kingsport where I served would come over and take me to lunch, invite me to the Kingsport Mets games in the evening just to get out of the hospital and to get away for a little bit. Two of Heidi's really good friends from Ohio, the church we currently serve in, they drove down from Ohio to Tennessee just to be with her, to see her in the hospital and spend some time and to pray with us. Some of the best people that I know in the world are in the church. We are, the, we are to be the salt of the earth. And I don't know about you, but I need the church. I love the people in the church. The church is my family. And whether you like it or not, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And you may say, man, I never thought I'd have a bald brother. Well, you do. All right. <laughs> because I'm your brother. And my passion and my desire for this position is to come alongside of John and, and to help him with the vision of this church and to work together with Billy and Emmeline and David and Noah, Joni and Aubrey and the elders and to establish some steps that we can help people become fully devoted, fully equipped followers of Jesus and to help people see that the church is not something we do. The church is who we are. Reason number five, I love the church, is because of its positive influence. Again, back to Matthew 16, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on this truth that I am the Messiah. I'm going to use imperfect people like Simon Peter, right? And then he says this in verse 18. He says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We are a part of something that Satan has tried to attack, that people have tried to stamp out, and yet it has survived for over 2,000 years. That's pretty amazing. And when Jesus said, I will, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stop it, the imagery is not one of the church being on the defense. 
It's one of the church being on the offense. Gates are defensive weapons. Several years ago, we went to visit our son, oldest son who's in the Navy, and uh, he was stationed in Norfolk. And at the time, he was helping finish up building the Ford, the USS Ford, which is the newest aircraft carrier. And so we're over there, and he says, hey, it's not commissioned yet, but they're allowing us to give tours of the Ford. Would you like to come and tour the Ford? Let me think. Would I like to go on one of these large aircraft? Yes, yes, I would. And so in order to do that, we had to go through the Navy gates. Now, was I worried about that gate reaching out and smacking me? Was I worried about it hitting me? Was I worried about throwing something at me? No. I knew I was going to overcome the gates of the Navy because of who I was with. And when we are with Jesus, listen, the gates of hell cannot stop us. The church was on the offense. Jesus commissioned them to go into all the world with the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, that he died for the sins of mankind, that he rose again, and and he is giving us the power to do that as well, and we have the hope of eternal life. And so the Christians, after Jesus ascended into heaven, listen, they didn't go huddle in the upper room and just on Sundays rejoice and sing and worship that they were saved. No, in Acts chapter 2, it says that they went out in the streets. Peter stands up and says, oh, you men of Israel, listen. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to do signs and wonders and miracles. And yet you with wicked hands, you beat him and you crucified him. But God has raised him from the dead, right? He he is now with with God in heaven. Okay, He he is now our Lord in Christ. 3,000 people heard that message and they were baptized and then they were added to the church. And the religious elite, they were furious about that. And they constructed a gate to stop them. And they said, listen, you can no longer cross this line. You can no longer preach in the name of Jesus Christ anymore. But I love what the disciples say in John or in Acts chapter 4, verses 19 through 20. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We've got to obey God, not man. And they kept preaching the truth. Acts 4 says that there were 5,000 men in the church, and early historians say that within a few years, there were probably 100,000 believers in Jerusalem. And ever since that, when the church has proclaimed the name of Jesus, it has had incredible influence on the culture where it is. And what we need are Christians. What we need to be are Christians who have the courage of the early disciples who will say, listen, we've got to obey God, not man. We've got to obey God, not the culture. And the gates of hell cannot stop us. When Joshua helped the children of Israel cross over the Jordan River on dry ground, when he got to the other side, God instructed him. He said, I want you to build a monument with 12 stones. And here's what it says in Joshua 4, 21 through 24. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you fear the Lord your God forever. You know, from what I see, Morrison Hill Christian Church is in a wonderful season. 
And I would hope that you love the church. And I pray that you will continue to look to the future and the difference that this church can make in the community and even into the world. But at the same time, don't forget to remember, to remember how the powerful hand of God has blessed this place over the years. You know, I I just got to thinking, I wonder how many people have been saved or have gone to heaven because of the ministry and the outreach of the church. I mean, that's our primary task, to reach and to save the lost, to make an eternal difference in this world. But I also got to think, I wonder how many marriages have been saved. I wonder how many children have been kept off drugs or out of jail. I wonder how many addictions have been broken from the bondage of the chains of sin because of churches like Morrison Hill that have chosen to lift a name that is above every other name the name of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name in heaven, under heaven given to men by which we must be saved, the name of Jesus Christ. I love the church. I love you. And Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that he's, he gave his life for you. He took our sin, he took our shame, he took it all to the cross. And so this morning, as you're sitting there, I I challenge you to examine your own lives, to look into your own hearts. Maybe there's a step that you need to take. Maybe you need to examine your relationship with the church and how committed are you? Maybe you need to examine, more importantly, your relationship with Jesus. Are you living as a fully devoted follower of Jesus? Maybe there's a step you need to take. Maybe there's a prayer you need to pray this morning where you're at. Maybe you need to talk to someone. Maybe you need to make a public decision. David will be down front and you can come and meet with him. And John will be in the back if you want to meet with someone privately and make that decision for him this morning. If you need to make a decision, would you come as we sing?